Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Nothing Major on Rooney Radio. I am Kate Armstrong. And I am Bella Hales Bradley. Today guys, we at Nothing Major have fed a bit of a special show for you all. Mm-hmm. So get excited. It's really fun, it's really special, it's really spicy. <laughs> um, it's really just like a very like traditional factual throwback, Nothing Major circa episode one. Yeah, I know that we said that we were doing a new format and we are just not for this, this episode. This, this is a little combo. <laughs> this is a little mix-up. Yeah. Uh, keep you guys on your toes. Yeah. You know, um, it's a little bit of informative content in the lead up to the holiday season. But Bella, hold up. What? What if this is someone's first time listening to Nothing Major? Oh my god. Well, welcome. What if our social media presence heralded new listeners, Kate? What do we do? Oh my goodness. Well, Bella, before we dive into all of that special Nothing Major content we've just pitched to everyone. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, Nothing Major is a show where we, two first-year ANU arts students, discuss social issues inspired by the content of our common major, gender, sexuality, and culture studies. That was so well put, Kate. It's almost like... It's scripted. scripted. (laughs) (laughs) Our show aims to make the theory and content of our common major accessible and digestible for you and everyday audience. And hopefully we want to be able to show you how its important content applies to us and to you and to the general world in so many ways just like all the time every single day incredible aren't we thank you that was so (laughs) scripted (laughs) a big thank you to everyone for your engagement with our instagram and facebook platforms Mm -hmm. we're absolutely delighted to see that you're all ready to jump onto the new show as soon as it's released yes we had amazing feedback from our taylor swift episode last week and it was really exciting even though we took a brief hiatus. You were all ready to Stop get back on. Oops, <laughs> you were ready to get back on the nothing major grind no, as you soon. Have to, like, forget. As you we just have ready. to forget that we abandoned you for two months. That's true. But like, we're we back didn't. now. We're back now. This is our <laughs> second episode in five days. Look at us go. We're we're making ground. Um, if you haven't found any of our social media pages yet and have no clue what we're talking about, <laughs> don't stress. Head over to Instagram and Facebook at the handle Nothing Major Aroni, which you can also plug into YouTube to find video recordings of some of our shows. A big apology that last week's show was not able to be uploaded to our YouTube platform. Our camera ran out of battery halfway through. And if you've listened to the episode, that would make you sense. You understand why, because that episode is an hour and a half. An hour and a half of us talking. It's an hour and a half of a really excellent episode. Yes. Like, would highly recommend sitting down, like, get yourself a cocktail. Yeah. Sit in the sun. Holiday the season. phenomenal. Yeah. Cocktail, sit in the sun, and then listen to an hour and a half of nothing major. Like, treat yourself. What better way is there But yeah, you just might be able to watch it because our camera died. Yes, but we hope that we'll be able to upload this show yes. for your viewing pleasure. Hey. Wave into the camera. <laughs> and as always, if you have any questions, queries, concerns, encouragement, feedback, anything, if you just like nothing major, don't like you. And you wanted to let us know anonymously, the big reform is the way to go. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. like if you really wanted to cyberbully us, Bella, no. I'm not encouraging cyberbullying. Constructive criticism. Yes. No, definitely would prefer constructive criticism. We only encourage constructive criticism. Well, I'm not not exactly encouraging cyberbullying, guys. Let's continue. (laughs) Well, then, so Google form, which you can find on the Facebook page, or our email at radionothingmajor at gmail.com. Alrighty, now speaking of the Google form, Let's get into it. Let's dive into it because there was some really hot content on the Google form this week. Yeah, I really have to compliment one of our beautiful viewers. We love you. You know who you are. You know who you are. Who posted their running commentary and thoughts on the show as they listened to it. It was incredible and super sweet of them as well. We love nothing major stands out there who are you know yeah. dedicating the time to write notes we encourage you all in fact to write well, since uni's over <laughs> like you've got to keep on the grind yeah know? like even if you don't and if you don't go to uni like if you are graduated or like my sister who just graduated high school i don't know she's well you know like an adult with a working job that's so true but you feel like writing notes for something yeah nothing major go for it really retain that information so then when you're in an argument with someone on the internet Pull out those nothing major facts, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So what did our lovely viewers say, Bella Bradley? Oh, they said so much. <laughs> it was so good. But it was like, so it, there's so much stuff. Wait, yeah. Kate, where do we start? 
Um, I feel like the idea of the white woman victim, um, yes. what they brought up is, is that actually present in all of T-Swizzle's albums? Why did you just say that? <laughs> Why did you just call that T-Swizzle? Like, Folklore and Evermore and, for me at least, to be honest, like, my Taylor Swift. I'm so sorry. I literally, I'm not listening. All I can think about is the fact you just called her T-Swizzle. <laughs> like, I, our well, ratings just went down. Hi, everybody just stopped. We listening. just lost our entire audience of cool people. <laughs> yeah. If you're still listening, I'm sorry, but you're not cool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For context, guys, Bella would have paused and stopped listening. I would have. If, if I'd been listening to a podcast and someone had referred to Taylor Swift as T Swizzle, I think I would have deleted Spotify off my phone. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Which means you couldn't have listened to. Folklore and Evermore, the two albums that our viewers suggested, didn't talk about I've the been white woman. Mad because mm, I've been listening to Folklore yeah. on the bus on the way to work yeah. a lot. And my favorite song on Folklore, Come At Me, is The Last Great American Dynasty, mm-hmm. which and she played on repeat at our house yeah. the other day. I did. We listened to it about four times. Yeah. But I don't think you can separate race from that. When you think yeah. about an American dynasty, you think colonial. Mm. You think big houses. You think old architecture. You think old money. Yeah. You think rich white people. Money, and I money, can't remember money. the lyrics of Great American Dynasty. Yeah, pull them up. Go on. <laughs> on the fly research. But I feel like there's probably some, like, at least some, like, white nostalgia there. Um, yeah, they're definitely is <laughs> on the go research guys uh i'm we looking really, at the we lyrics really said this episode was gonna be a so we didn't script this bit that's why yeah but anyway yeah so um i do think that while it's less there because mm. but i also think that what we discussed is that she played on her whiteness as a way to gain a fan base yeah and i think now that she has a fan base she doesn't rely on it as much that's yeah. kind of why maybe you might not think it's as prevalent in Albums like Folklore and Evermore and mm. even now, like, in Red Taylor's version. Yeah. Like, when you think about, like, the 10-minute all-too-well version, that's mm. very much just, like, a relationship. There's nothing distinctly white about that except for the way that it was cast. Yeah. And I think the, like, the only reason, kind of like you were saying, that she was able or is able at all, just to make the argument, if she is able at all to separate herself from that, it is only because she used that as her foundation and yes. therefore is reliant on it, whether subconsciously or I think, like. I think when we were discussing whiteness and Taylor Swift, we talked about her building an identity yes. on whiteness, specifically in the country music genre. Mm-hmm. And then I think also, I think it's probably a bit unconscious now for her to maybe yeah. fall back on her whiteness as an identity ploy. Mm. I don't think it's something that she does automatically anymore. I don't think it's something that she relies on, but I think it's there. And I definitely think that's why the comment of it being a bit less noticeable in albums like Folklore and Evermore is a very valid comment to yeah. make because I think it is less. Except for Last American Dynasty. Yeah. I think that's mad old white people energy. Yeah. I mean, last... So I listen to the Last Great American Dynasty. It's an excellent song. <laughs> Bella's promotion for Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> um so our viewer also said that they really liked our discussion of dolly parton and the Mm -hmm. chicks which is really cool um because you know i think that obviously going into a tales of thing well we had because we were talking about the country music industry in general we needed them Mm -hmm. we needed those examples but the main thing that they kind of said was in relation to dolly Mm -hmm. and how her whiteness and like like playing into whiteness was mm-hmm. so present there, but I don't think that we actively think, oh, Dolly, oh maybe we do. Like oh, if we're actively like, oh yeah, like, Dolly is mad white vibes. I yeah. don't think if Dolly was black, she would be a half as famous or b have the identity that she does now. Well, would anyone she would not in the be, music like, the industry? Cultural icon. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I found most interesting talking to Bella in the research for this and when she was doing the Dolly essay that you did because you love Dolly was when you were talking about how she is so aggressively apolitical Mm -hmm. and I think that like that's that's something sorry I just mad cut you off I think 
what I, I think it's a privilege to be able to stay apolitical. And I think that's a privilege mm. not afforded to black artists. Yes. I think Dolly got to, cho- Taylor got to choose that. Dolly got to choose that. But mm. I think like you didn't see any black artists stay silent in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. But you saw a fuck ton of white artists yeah. stay silent during that. And I think that that is a privilege afforded to white people because as we talked about, whiteness is seen as the racial norm it's seen and like blackness is the racial other which is obviously go listen to the last episode it's an hour and a half long but we discuss this in way better detail yeah (laughs) but i think basically yeah when you talk about dolly parton and you talk about being apolitical and talk about taylor and her choice taylor's choice to be political yeah go and watch the miss americana documentary on netflix which goes through that in detail because i do think that was a really difficult decision for her but i think yeah. that that's a decision that's not afforded to black artists yes i can in a way I, that they don't have the choice also because because we associate and particular talk- identities mm-hmm. with particular things yes i think that's the mm-hmm. big thing like if you saw a more apolitical black artist i don't think like I think you'd be like, wait, why aren't you standing? I think they they'd, they'd get mm-hmm. backlash. But Taylor, mm-hmm. whilst there definitely are people on social media who are like, babes, like speak up, mm-hmm. like it's dropped easier. It was, yeah, it was way easier for her to stay apolitical and way easier for her to immerse herself in a socio political online presence as yeah. well. If you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, is there anything else that we should discuss from that? I think just like the all caps of like, I was never going to tell, like, just like, <laughs> I was just looking at that. Like, ah, so good. Just like part of it. Just like, Jesus, that book is insane. Um, I just think <laughs> like, this is amazing. And then the last a, comment. The of, DiCaprio graph. Yeah, I just think that's really amazing. And we love you so much. But yeah, that's the main thing. I think. All we'd be doing if we kept talking about it was just redoing the last episode. And we really need yes. to make this episode not an hour. Yes. So, so we promised you serious, nothing major, structured we've content. We've hyped up that serious, educational, <laughs> nothing major app. So, Kate, what are we talking about today? So for this episode, we've chosen to look into gender inequality in Cambodia and the specific concern of human trafficking in the country. Okay. So you might be thinking a bit random. Nothing major. You yep. usually you usually give us like a this is what's happening in the world. Here's our topic for this week. Yeah, and then you're probably sitting here like like I understand that like human trafficking in Cambodia. Like I understand why that connects to nothing major. But like but it like, wasn't on my Instagram page this week. But like just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, explain. But- Hey, please. So in the lead up to Christmas, in the 12 days leading up to Christmas, um, I'm working with the Oscam Freedom Project to raise funds for them. So Oscam is a fantastic organization which works towards creating a safer life for girls in Cambodia with early intervention initiatives aiming to end trafficking before it mm-hmm. begins. And I think that's one of the things that um, I really find interesting about the organization is that they're really founded in grassroots programs mm-hmm. as well as emergency support. Mm-hmm. So one of the main focuses is, is like education and supporting girls. Mm-hmm. So, so they have a program which allows you to help them raise funds and you get um like a service oh well you get um a service certificate like so you can say that you've helped the charity but Mm -hmm. also um there's a potential to win an internship with the organization uh hyping myself up guys but which would be incredible because it would mean that my (laughs) instagram activism you know because i'm super cool and i Mm-hmm. Erected an Instagram page, so guys, I'm basically yeah incredible. Mm-hmm. Of course, I made a post. Oh it was gosh, crazy. I've basically done the whole organization. Kind of Sorry, um, <laughs> but so um, would allow me to further engage with the organization, yeah. what they do, and gain a, a deeper understanding through the and wealth like a deeper of involvement. deeper involvement. Like yeah. I think what we're talking about is like what we're really trying to get over with this episode is that like Instagram activism is the starting point. You know, and like with this project, I think what's really admirable about what Kate's doing is that it's leading the way for something like an internship, which is kind of a more tangible form of activism. It's kind of a more tangible way of enacting change rather than just raising money. Yeah. We thought for this episode, we've got something really exciting for you. We've managed to secure an interview with the executive director of the Oscar Freedom Project that Kate's working with. Yeah. Her name is Jessie Tierman. She's Really lovely lady. Yes. Basically, this is a really excellent means in which to understand more, not only what that organization stands for and what action they're taking 
to educate but also prevent human trafficking and kind of the perpetuation of gender equality around the world from a corporate perspective, which is really important and something that like, it's really hard for us to talk about because we're not in the workforce. It's really hard for us to talk about because we're not really connected to these issues because we are white women. We talk about a lot of Australian issues. We talk about a lot of issues affecting our generation. We talk about a lot of issues like on social media, online, a lot of just kind of very stuff that we talk about in gender studies. Yeah. And I feel like this isn't something that we've really discussed. But anyway, basically, this has given us a really amazing wealth of resources for this episode because we got a little information pack. It was really amazing. And we want to be able to get those out for you. So our Facebook page is where we'll share all of those resources with you. Yeah. Um, like, as usual, for the week's content kind of content to kind of validate what we're talking about. <laughs> um, and this is also where you can find the link to the beloved Google form. Yes. Where you can give feedback on the show, its ideas, its structure, or any suggestions kind of for future content. If you do want to do a running commentary. Please do. Please do. Yeah. We, like, loved reading that. That was genuinely like, very enjoyable like pull up the google form and just like as we're talking just like write down your little notes even <laughs> if we say something and you're like hated that sentence yeah or you're just like bella stuttered yeah. <laughs> that's fine i can deal with that as long as you make like one or two valid points yeah the running commentary was really fluttery yeah also if you guys don't want to do it anonymously or just want to like reach out to us you yeah. can always email us at radio nothing major at gmail.com like, sponsor com. us or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> email us on radio nothing major at email gmail.com us. Um, or, otherwise, chuck us a message on Instagram or yeah. comment on the Google form. Yeah. Um, or YouTube. <laughs> Go crazy. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. As we mentioned, this week's show, we're going back to kind of more traditional, nothing major approach based on kind of hard facts, interview, very exciting stuff. Yeah. So as mentioned, I'm doing this fundraising campaign with Oscam for Girls Who Are At Risk. I think we need to make it super clear as... Uh, and like what we discussed in depth before starting this episode and writing this episode yeah is is the idea of optical allyship and white feminism okay okay. big words (laughs) big words what Uh is optical allyship okay so optical allyship based on my google definition of the term Mm -hmm. is allyship that only serves at surface level to platform the ally so mm-hmm. it makes a statement, but doesn't go beneath the surface. It's not aimed at breaking away from the systems of power that oppress. It's very service level. Look at me. I'm doing this really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And then you don't actually do anything yeah. that's So tangible. think about the black spurs on Instagram reposting, mm-hmm. like, you know, that like little tag that says like, repost this if you care about like this issue, repost yeah. this if you care about like misogyny. Or, repost? Like- repost Re- uh, i know it just sounded like one word sorry anyway. but yeah no so like that <laughs> kind of thing where like i think we specifically saw the term optical allyship like thrown out a lot um when the black lives matter movement had its run in the news cycle yeah because people obviously posting black squares people were like posting resources you have the filters like, on facebook that yes. you put over your profile photo yeah people were posting that thing but then what we see now is that um a lot of people have kind of a forgotten about <laughs> mm. black lives matter it's really funny guys but like the systemic discrimination didn't go away didn't go away in march 2020 when yeah. um, it stopped being cool to post on instagram but also then i think again people have also not done the work to unpack i think as white people yeah not doing the work to unpack how racial bias affects us literally every day and yes. only posting a black square being like i I don't think black people should die, but also I sometimes have racial bias. Yeah. I'm like, there's there's a lot to that. Like, I think optical allyship is tied a lot into corporate activism. It's yes. tied a lot into how can you make money from this activism, not how can you enact change. Which, relating back to OzCam, yes. how is making money, making donations, going to enact change? Mm. What are the dynamics there? That's what we're, all that we're going to be asking Jesse in our interview. Basically, yeah, so it's doing something to look like you care about a cause actually, without actually putting in the effort to dismantle any systems, yeah. which is why we need intersectionality. Another big term yes. that we will explain. Woo! So intersectionality is a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. What a babe. Um, it refers to... <laughs> she is a sociology professor. <laughs> what like, a Not to diminish her career. Yes. Um, it refers to the ways in which different aspects of a person's identity can expose them to overlapping forms of discrimination and marginalization. So this is something we mention a lot. We are two. Literally every episode, I think. Yeah. Intersectionality because it is so important. And really important for us to mm-hmm. tell you guys. Yes. So we're two white 
women. Mm-hmm. We're able-bodied, financially stable, like, like very well off, going to a very prestigious university. We're lucky enough to go to university, yes. and we're in a very privileged position in life. In a first world country. Yeah. Um, so as not to try and crown ourselves, you know, the saviors of all mm-hmm. of the causes that we yeah. ever talk about, and specifically this cause, because we aren't. Yeah. <laughs> go us for, you know, talking about it. Yeah. But we're not. So we want to just start with a couple of disclaimers before we actually mm-hmm. dive into the content yeah. and the interview with Jessica. So like, yeah, like white savior, white feminism, they all really intersect in a cause like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super important to bring up because it's basically like what we can see is sometimes even people do this unconsciously is yeah. like just ignoring intersectionality and thinking that womanhood is like the peak oppressive force. That's yeah. what we see a lot on Instagram. It's like white women being like, oh my God, I am mad oppressed because I'm a woman in yeah. America. And we're like, babe, babe. Babe, maybe um, not. Like just forgetting that things like race, geography, socioeconomics, politics, mm-hmm. these things intersect with gendered violence and gender-based issues to compound them into these really, really aggressive, terrible issues in a way yeah. that I think white women can very easily forget about. Um, yeah, so... We obviously know that, like, this is not the case. Yeah. Like, these things intersect. It's just, that's just how the world works. We see that women of colour are far more likely to be forced into or stuck in these cycles of violence and oppression like Oscam. Talks about the same as trans women. Like, we are both cis women. Yeah. Like, there. No, like, just mad issues. Yeah. Um, It's specifically compounded with trans women of colour. Like, the list goes on and on and on, and that's why white saviorship, white feminism, and intersectionality is such important time to bring up before we get into something like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, What I think I we want you to take away from this, and I, I don't think that is that I don't think that social media campaigning alone will ever be sufficient no. to give this yeah. cause like proper exposure mm-hmm. so it definitely feeds into a white feminist approach of the social media campaign and yeah popping something on your story and yeah being like i'm a feminist and that being like oh my activism is done i decided mm-hmm. to spare five seconds of my day towards this cause mm-hmm. and like if you guys listen to our episode our second episode fuck man but not literally excellent, it, excellent. um <laughs> i would highly recommend you go no, listen like, you listen to it <laughs> Um, you would know it's something here, we here at Nothing We Could don't believe in. We don't believe that you are, if you are not reaching the end goal of activism yes. by posting yes. on your story. We've said it once and we will say it again. Instagram activism, Facebook activism is mm. the first step. Yes. It should never be the last step. If you are getting into a new cause, get on Instagram, get those resources, but that should, that is the first step. Yes. You like, yeah, I just think it's super important and the world of social media has opened us up more to these issues. It's let us explore yes. them more. It's let us interact with them more. Yeah. But I think it's also let us fall into this pitfall of thinking that that is the final way, the yeah. only way. That's, like, the best way to go about it. It is not. Like, yeah. you need to know your research mm-hmm. and you need to actually engage it with those conscious. ideas. It yeah. It's a conscious thing. Exactly. All right. Disclaimers. Serious. Let's go. As always, we want to disclaim here at Nothing Major, we use terms such as men and women. Mm-hmm. Where suited, these terms are not situated within the traditional binary and reference individuals who may align in or outside these structures, i.e. when we say women, it encompasses all women and anyone with which women-aligned experiences might resonate or generate an understanding of specific issues that we discuss. Yes, of course, and specifically in terms of of helping like women in Cambodia we'll be talking about that more when we interview Jesse yeah we're not the last step in the process of this activism of change for like these people neither is a small Christmas campaign or any form of social media but rather it's the engagement awareness and access to this information that really gets the ball rolling and it's organizations organizations that like Ozcam that do really tangible help yeah um that we're going to unpack and look at in a bit more detail when we interview Jesse yeah so time to dive into the substantive of the show To discuss these facts and figures effectively, we interviewed the lovely Jesse Tierman, from, who is the executive director of the Oscan Freedom Project, like we said. So let's take a listen. We're with Jesse here from Oscam. We're really excited to be doing this interview and we're really lucky enough to be spending a bit of time with her today. Hi, Jesse. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm well. Thank you. I'm uh, over in the States, the tundra. Uh, it's about negative 10 degrees here most days. So yeah. Oh, no. 
we only just got our first bit of sun in Canberra oh. yesterday with it actually getting above 20 degrees. So <laughs> the weather's just being a bit crazy at the moment, mm-hmm. I think, around the world. Yeah. But oh. we don't need to unpack climate change right now. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm talking about OzCam. So first of all, could you just tell us a little bit about what OzCam do and what, yeah, what you guys do with OzCam? Yeah, so um, OzCam, our full name is OzCam Freedom Project. Um, we are an anti-trafficking organization. We're headquartered in Sydney, but all of our programs are in um, Cambodia. So we address uh, the trafficking and sexual exploitation of adolescent girls in Cambodia. Um, so our, our mission is to end trafficking before it begins, um, which essentially means that we prevent trafficking from happening so that girls don't have to become survivors of it. Um, so we identify girls at high risk, use our interventions to if risk factors long term. So we run a program called the Shine Center. And within the Shine Center, we have four different projects uh, and it addresses their um, mental health. So we have psychosocial counseling, we have educational support. Um, we have leadership and mentoring, um, and then also a lot of life skills training workshops um, and community workshops for caregivers and their parents. So um, uh, the ultimate goal is just to build an individual girl's resistance to trafficking, um, her resilience for the future, and a protective environment around her um, so that we don't have to rescue girls from trafficking forever. That's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, no, super interesting. I think in terms of like having a preventative approach, I think a lot of causes are about kind of getting people out of that situation, but kind of stopping them from getting in that situation in the first place is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, I work, I've worked in anti-trafficking for 15 or 16 years. Um, I've always worked for rescue organizations. Um, so I started in Latin America and then West Africa and on to India. They all do the same thing. Um, so not to say that it's not really crucial, valuable work to rescue someone from the depths of modern slavery um, and, and forms of, of human trafficking. But it's it's not a sustainable approach to ending it because there just aren't enough first responders, police, investigators. I mean, just the sheer number of people in slavery and um, trafficking around the world is just too enormous. So the response will never be able to meet it. So again, not to say it's not valuable, but I think the only sustainable way to approach human trafficking is through prevention. And there's just not quite as much funding for it, not quite as much attention on it. It's not as glamorous. That's a horrible descriptive word, but it's not as, as glamorous and it's not as attractive for a lot of supporters. So yeah, I, it's something that I'm really passionate about. I, I, I want more people to understand the value of preventative work and that sort of systemic change that we need to happen in order for there to be even a dent in the number of people we see enslaved today. Yeah, that I think it's one of the things that I admired most about your organization and doing this. And one of the things that encouraged me so much to raise funds with you guys was the really like grassroots foundational approach, because I feel like that is just needed in so many places. And obviously we're trying to fix the problem that's there immediately. So people's first response isn't necessarily going to be mm-hmm. all right so let's look at education let's look at the facts let's see where this is coming from and prevent it for future generations mm-hmm. yeah no definitely yeah so you said you started like 10 15 years ago why did you start specifically with OzCam? was it kind of for that reason that there was nothing really in the field that kind of had this approach yeah, so um, just to clarify, I didn't start OzCam, so I just want to make sure that, um, you know, Julie Douse and her husband, Jeff, started the organization nearly 10 years ago. We're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary, um, 10th birthday um, <laughs> next month, so that's really excited. I started with OzCam about four years ago, and yes, I was attracted to OzCam because of the approach that they took. So Julie and her husband lived in Cambodia for many years and started this organization because they saw so many girls 
working at night, you know, working, I'm quoting, you know, this podcast, you can't see my air quotes, but uh, working at night um, in brothels on the street corners, working in commercial sex trade, and none of them had an education. So that's why they started OzCam with a uh, focus on education. And now fast forward 10 years later, we know that education is not necessarily the only indicator of of a girl who may be at risk. And in fact, after some recent research and a needs assessment, we've learned that uh, the majority of girls who had been trafficked, you know, in 2021 were all enrolled in school. So that is to say that a scholarship to, you know, go to school or even materials to be able to attend school Uh, wouldn't necessarily prevent a girl from being trafficked or sexually exploited. So yeah, I I was attracted to OzCam because of the mission in prevention, um, but also because of its really multi-pronged approach. Um, You'll see a lot of organizations out there with all good intentions, but who just really focus on education. And so they give school scholarships or they may host, you know, um, life skills training or something to complement that. But it's all based on the assumption that education will keep this girl safe. So OzCam is centered around case management. It's centered around social work. It's centered around having strong relationships with each girl so that we can detect all of those various indicators. I mean, humans are complex creatures. Um, And, you know, you two are enrolled in school right now, and that doesn't make you immune to abuse in life um, or a bad relationship with a boyfriend that turns into potentially um, an instance of exploitation, you know, for yourself. So um, we have to recognize all of those factors that contribute to a girl's sort of risk level. Yeah, amazing. Um, One of the things that we spoke about a lot in the call we did the other day where we got to learn a lot more about the facts and stats about this issue we talked a lot about cyberspace and how that's changed our understanding of people's access to girls and how that's impacting them would you be able to speak on that for a little bit yeah so I mean if you could rewind two years ago before anyone knew what COVID-19 was all of our girls were in school. And so we have nearly 200 girls in our case management. And then we have an additional um, two to 250 girls who just attend some of our programs. But let's talk about the 200 girls we have in case management. That means they have a designated caseworker or social worker um, who checks in with them, follows up with them regularly and provides all sorts of like interventions when they need it. So it's, it's their support person. All of our girls were in school. Um, all of the case managers were really looking at the girl's educational outcomes, her attendance in school. Was she passing her exams? Did she have plans for the future after she graduated? So it was really heavily education focused still, you know, and then we did have all of these other programs that we ran. But then in 2020, in March, um, all of the schools closed down. So now, you know, we're hoping to be able to measure if a girl was at risk heavily by whether or not she was performing well in school, what was she attending school, but now we're expecting all of these girls to attend school online and all learning transitioned online, just like, you know, billions of students around the world. But girls were struggling. They had to use their phones, their mobile devices to be able to access a lot of their classwork and their tutoring and all of that that we provided. And we started to hear rumblings of online sexual exploitation ramping up in Cambodia, primarily because now all of the students, all of these girls aged, you know, 13 to 18 are now all online all day long, spending lots of hours on there. And it would be natural to assume that if you're doing your coursework and then when you're done with your class, you're done studying, you don't just click off the phone and put it down and come back tomorrow for more school. You're going on social media platforms. You're going into, you know, playing live games with live chat features. I mean, you're doing other things socially with your friends. Um, You can't see your friends in person. So maybe you're trying to meet um, new groups online. You're just, you have so much more social interaction online and traffickers knew that. Um, And they've always known that, right? So this was a really easy in for them, for traffickers, predators, abusers online to be able to find girls who are extremely vulnerable because they don't understand that people could lie to them about their age, 
they're not very discerning on who they accept as a new friend on different social media platforms. They're sharing very private information in their public profiles for everyone to, to find. And so what we saw was um, traffickers, you know, absorbing this information in a really, you know, quick way. And then using that to groom girls. And by grooming, we're talking about forming a relationship with them in order to entice them or entrap them or coerce them into, you know, performing some sort of sexual act or meeting in person or at worst case scenario being trafficked and actually taken somewhere. Um, so there's a variety of different forms of how that can happen. But we, you know, it was a wake up call for us as an organization. And I'm sure for organizations all over the world, um, when we realized, okay, now we have nearly 200 girls who have mobile devices. Some of those girls, we even gave those mobile devices to them because they didn't have any way to study online at home. And now we are responsible for what happens to them online because we told them we were here to protect them and we mean it. So we had to quickly learn what that meant. Where are they going? What, what apps are they using? How are traffickers approaching them? And that's why we launched this big needs assessment um, about six months ago. We surveyed 146 girls. We had interviews with key stakeholders, other organizations working with victims and survivors. We combed through thousands of pages of research in the last year or two that, you know, just to learn what's going on out there. We talked to the police. I mean, we just did as much as we could to understand and at least at face value because we need to respond now, not two years from now when our research can be published and all of that. So we weren't really concerned with that. We just needed to learn. And so now what we've learned is Girls are spending an enormous amount of time online, some up to 13 hours a day. They are meeting new people online for the most part. Um, about 10% of girls have been asked to send nude or in intimate photos to others. And we are now doing a screening. So we're doing a risk assessment screening on all of the girls to see exactly who might be at high risk for online exploitation. So it's it's sort of a blend. You can't just say, you know, some girls are at risk online while other girls are risk in person. It's it's such a complex and hybrid issue. Girls who are meeting people online can be exploited in person. Girls who are meeting people in person can be exploited online by them later. I mean, it's just an issue that we just need to kind of learn more about. And as we learn more, we're responding in different ways and yeah, really trying to refine our programs, our workshops, our campaigns, our outreach to be able to identify more girls and respond to the needs. Just, just kind of working on your feet, I guess. Yeah. Super difficult, difficult. I guess on the flip side of that, we could talk about a bit about kind of the internet as really a major part of how you kind of gain spotlight onto your issues. So how do organizations like OzCam, who's like your main or like target demographic for donations and outreach and kind of information services are based in countries outside of Cambodia, so Australia, the US. Mm. How do you deal with that? Do you think the internet's a big part of that? Because obviously, yeah, there's not, it's not going to be all bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't live with it. You can't live without it. I mean, it's it's part of our life. It is the center point of almost all of our lives. I mean, I I work remotely, you know, when our office closed down in 2020, all of our staff and volunteers worked remotely for a long time and some of us um, are remaining, you know, remote. So, yeah, it's it's a part of our lives. It's um it will always be so. I think we will only continue to find new ways to use it. So yeah, I mean, we use all those social media platforms, LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Instagram, but each, each one of them has a very distinct audience. So the majority of Cambodians, or at least the girls who we are working with use Facebook. In fact, in our survey, we found out 92% of all of the girls have Facebook accounts and use it on a daily basis. So that's our primary way that we organize girls into groups and that we communicate with them. We let them know what's available. We host virtual workshops still, trainings, scholarships available, you know, even just warning signs of things happening, illegitimate job offers, just that's our daily communication with them. Um, we also use Telegram, which is really popular in Cambodia and, and many countries around the world. So that's how we message our girls. And yeah, we, we 
try to publish quite a bit more as much as we can. Now we're a pretty small team. So <laughs> as much as we can is probably more accurate. Well, we try to publish what we know and we try to connect with other organizations who are doing the same and connect in their, you know, online or even in-person networks. And yeah, I mean, we, uh, this is, this is life now. So most of our donations come online as well. Campaigns, we run virtual events. Um, we've run a virtual gala before. So we have found lots of creative ways to, you know, raise the resources we need to do this work to connect with other, you know, corporate partners and, and donors, but also just to get the word out, like raising awareness is really, really important, but you have to couple it with action. There has to be an action point, which is why, you know, I met Kate through this service learning, virtual service learning module that we just launched. Um, and she was kind of our guinea pig. And um, yeah, like it's, it's exactly that it's always has to be learning coupled with service or action. um, Because once you know more, you should do more. And I think that's sort of our mantra and, and the majority of our supporters believe the same, which is why they're always rolling up their sleeves and donating their time and also their money, because I know that we need the financial resources, but we also need the manpower and the connections. So yeah, we have a, a pretty global network, I would say. You kind of, you talked briefly then kind of on what we were a little bit unpacking in the episode. Yes, Um, Jessie doesn't hear the intro of the show yet, guys. She doesn't know what was said so far, but... um... Basically, um, we talked about optical allyship and I think you brought that up, which is basically like you kind of do something, you're kind of getting that information and then not really doing anything with it. There's no tangible Mm. kind of action or kind of really positive kind of action being taken. How do organizations like OzCam deal with that, especially if you're working online or like doing a lot of online campaigning? How do you avoid people just kind of click, like clicking on, clicking off, kind of sharing a post and then not really doing anything else? Because you talked about how important it is to pair knowledge with action. How do you as an organization, is that something that you guys are doing specifically to target that to make sure that that happens? Yeah, listen, I... I think it's it's just a matter of who your audience is and have you extended the right invitation to the right people. So I look at fundraising and even um, you know other action points that you can ask from a volunteer. I look at it always as an invitation. And so it's not that your invitation isn't good. You just may be handing it to the wrong person. They may not want to come to your party, you know? Um, and so I don't, we don't take offense by it. We just try to learn. We learn from which audience are we speaking to and how did we invite them? And if they weren't responsive, then we didn't do a good enough job either with the invitation or finding the right audience. So um, I think it's just a bit of an equation that you have to just kind of feel out. We're a very organic organization. So we're pretty like heartfelt. And I think not every person is looking to get involved with an organization that kind of leads with their heart and some are. So, you know, I, I still think back to probably one of the most shameful moments of my life, which is why I'm involved in anti-trafficking, but I took a college service learning trip for six weeks to Ghana when I was, I don't know, 17 years old. It was my, I was a freshman in college and I took this trip to Ghana and there's the largest man-made lake uh, in the world is in Ghana. It's called Lake Volta. And my college professor is from this area. He brought us to his home village and um, gave us a tour around the lake. And, you know, all of these white students from, you know, middle America get out of this bus and we're walking around the lake. And I just noticed this enormous, enormous amount of kids. I mean, just kids on kids, no adults around. And it just seemed really odd to me. It just felt like school was out, but there's all these kids running around. They didn't have school uniforms. Some were young, some were old. I mean, just an enormous amount of kids. And, you know, for me at that age, I felt, yeah, this is what a happy moment. You're surrounded by children and they all love you and want to touch you and blah, blah, blah. So I leave there and then I asked my professor about it. He, he gave me some explanation that some parents from the city will send their kids to this lake to be cared for by their aunties or uncles. And I just thought, okay, that, that doesn't really sit with me. I don't, I don't understand why I don't get that. And so I started to do research and very quickly, I found out that there's a large number of children trafficked to this lake every day. Um, They're sold for $20 by their parents. And they're told that they're going to live a better life with an auntie or an uncle, an extended family member. But instead, they're brought to the lake 
they're sold to another fisherman or trafficker on this lake, and they might be sold eight times in the first few weeks, and their name is changed, and they can't remember where they're from, and very quickly they're just lost into this system of, of slavery. And I just felt so ashamed that I was sitting there as like a tourist in a village where all these children had been trafficked. And I always go back to that moment in my life. And I think as soon as someone has that moment in their life, they will never choose inaction again. They will always couple what they learn with what am I going to do about it? And it can even just be being aware of it and making better choices in your own life. You don't have to become <laughs> the world's advocate for every social and environmental issue that you come across, but you can make those decisions in your own life. You can learn more about it, do better, um, and just educate people when they're interested in it. So it doesn't always have to be this huge action, like kind of Kate's really <laughs> taking it upon herself to raise money, raise awareness, use every resource she has. You can't do that with every issue that you come across, um, but you can choose the ones that really matter to you. That's really interesting. Yeah. I definitely think that we all, especially over the past few years, like one of the things we were talking about um, earlier in the podcast, which you'll eventually be able to listen to was- <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> when Black Lives Matter came out in kind of the media, the news cycle. it was like this month of news and now everyone's like, it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. so it doesn't exist or things like the climate action like filters that you could put on your Facebook feed and everyone really jumps on the bandwagon when it's trendy to do so but you're completely right in saying and one thing that we were really trying to get through to our listeners was if you know the information you know what's going on and you only join it because it's a trend or only do it because you can spare the five seconds to post something on your Instagram feed. Um, like I'm doing at the moment, but like if you're just doing the one thing that isn't activism, that isn't any form of actually engaging properly with that cause. So yeah, that's really, yeah. Well, I think we also have to consider that the, there has to be systemic change if we really want to see change happen if you want your efforts to contribute to that long-term change um it can't depend on a trend um we we can't we can't jump into a trend and expect that to be the difference that was needed so even looking at trafficking and exploitation that's happening in cambodia that process of grooming that i referred to where traffickers will form relationships with girls under a false pretense. Um, That is not illegal in Cambodia. It's not illegal because there's no legal definition around it. And so it cannot be prosecuted. Um, So traffickers can literally try to groom as many girls as they can meet online with absolutely no fear of of legal repercussion. Um, That demands systemic change. That is not a trend. That is not something that a trend will even remotely touch, um, it it demands systemic change. And so you have to think about how your action might contribute to that systemic change that needs to happen. And maybe that's signing a petition to be able to take that to government in Cambodia and, you know, have it be be made aware and, and start the process of putting legal framework around it. Now that's that's a big ask. And you know, I very much simplified <laughs> that there's some petition out there you can sign. There isn't one yet, but there will be. So um, keep an eye out for it. But you know, we have to we have to gather resources, we have to gather stories of victims and survivors of of this sort of, you know, grooming process, we need to be raising awareness about it when the time is right as well. So there's a bit of a process around it, which is why we really rely on organizations that know what they're doing. And so you can choose the ones you trust and then let them lead the way and let them give you opportunities to engage and then choose how you want to do that. But I absolutely agree with you. Like a, a click online is not going to do anything. Changing your Facebook profile, it, it's nice and it does help raise the public awareness, but it might not be targeted enough. It's not an actionable item that's necessarily you know going to tick that one box that we need. So yeah, I would agree. I think that there's a bit of confusion behind what people think is activism (laughs) easy activism versus like you know strategic activism 
Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, and kind of what do you think the extent to which OSCAM will be able to do that kind of cultural change that you're talking about? Because obviously there's a level of which you are coming into this issue with the knowledge that you're still, I don't know how to articulate this. Yeah, um, um, like obviously not everyone on your team is from Cambodia, has experienced these issues personally and understands it to that extent. But yeah, from an yeah. outsider's point of view, how do you think you guys, including donations and Instagram and all of that kind of those fundraising methods, how do you think you're going to be able to change that systemic issues and the culture? That is a big task. Big, big task. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, yeah, so see, all of our programs, so all of our staff, all of our program staff, I should say. So I, I'm obviously originally from America. Um, I've been in Australia for many years now, but all of our program staff, all of the staff that help design and implement and the programs and work with the girls are all local Khmer speaking Cambodians. Most of them are actually from the communities which we work in, where the girls are from that we work with. And all of our programs are inspired by and designed with girls that we serve. So we do focus groups. We ask their opinions more often than not. We want their input in in the design of the program because they know what they're experiencing and they know what works and what they respond well to and what their peers might respond well to. So we quite often consult them about what's, you know, what's working, what's not. And, you know, like you said, we just remain really flexible and malleable. Now, my job as executive director is to drive the strategy. So to make sure that everyone who's doing that really hard day-to-day work to make sure all of that is in line with what we believe will create systemic change. So we're constantly working together to make sure that we're, you know, checking in on our progress and, you know, taking note of our mistakes and failures. And, you know, anyone who says they don't have that is a liar. We have lots of failures because we simply, that's, that's the process you have to go through. You have to figure out what works and even things that work will eventually break. And then you have to, you know, decide how you want to change that, fix that, change your path. So yeah, we do take note of environmental factors and do all that. And so as I'm watching the strategy, I'm making sure that, you know, we're making that progress and that impact that we want to make, but simultaneously trying to bring people into the fold, bring who are the people What are the resources? Where are those connections that we need to be able to fuel this work? So that's our job from Australia. We don't run the programs. We just keep it going and try to invite as many people into that as possible. And then identify those times where, you know, the time is now we need activism. We need this or that. And just try to, yeah, really keep ourselves very focused on what we're doing because it's very easy to get off track especially even if you had like a big donor come to you and they said, we love what you're doing, but we want, you know, to give all of this money to university scholarships for the girls that could take us off track because not every girl wants to go to university. Some girls want to go to a vocational training or some girls have a small business they want to start. So we have to always remember that our core mission is to protect girls at risk. And we have to, you know, make sure that we're fueling the right components of our program so yeah I do believe we will create that change and we all sort of play our role in that which is why we always invite volunteers or anyone who wants to get involved we we always have roles to fill it just might look a little bit different um, depending on who you are and you know the timing yeah amazing um I think there's just one question left yeah Yeah. um we're almost there (laughs) so last year we heard a lot about especially around this time of year funds and donations going towards fake charities or certain things online that absorb 70 percent from themselves and only actually 30 percent go towards that charity organization and the cause itself and obviously your funds are going to where you thought they would so what would be your advice to listeners out there and everyone in finding organizations like OSCAM where you really like understand where your funds are going and how to support them effectively yeah, so that's a really good question. It's, it's a bit tricky to answer because part of this is a, a legal question 
um, which is easy to confirm if you're giving to a real or a fake charity. That's easy. You go onto the ACNC website. That's assuming everyone's looking at Australian charities. You can find them registered on there or not. You can find out if they're up to date on their financial records and you can look to see where their funds go. So that's an easy thing. Now you can see where their funds go in general. You can't necessarily see where every single dollar went. So that part of it, there's a bit of trust there that you have to have and you have to build with an organization. So my suggestion is that you start small with an organization um, and you meet them, meet them face-to-face, have a video call with them, try to visit them if it's possible, if it's a local organization or hopefully our borders will allow us to do that. Um, (laughs) Just get involved and, and build the trust both ways there so that you don't have to worry about where your money's going. You know, all of our supporters at OzCam, the majority of them have been with us for a very long time because they trust us and they trust that what we say we're going to do with their funds, we do that and we deliver on our promises. Um, So that sort of reputation is built over a while. So just be a little bit careful of organizations that recently formed. I'm not saying not to support them. I'm just saying just be aware that there's probably going to be a little less trust and reputation there. But um, yeah, just as far as knowing who to support and who not to support, just do your research. Don't click on everything you see on social media. Make sure you just at least see that they have that you know, tax ID number attached to their website somewhere and that they have a little bit of media or something out there. Like, do they have videos or photos you can see and check their annual reports. So every organization, well, typically um, puts out an annual report that will show you where their funds went and what they did with those funds. And that's submitted to the Australian government. So that's a pretty good way to tell. But I would like to say that the question about how much they spend on programs versus what we would call operations. Some people call it overhead. I think that's just misleading. Like it makes it sound like a negative thing. Some of our staff, like myself, I raise awareness, but I also raise funds. And if I raise funds, now I'm considered to be an overhead cost. So it's kind of a catch-22. No one wants their funds to go to pay any salaries for people who aren't delivering the programs, but salaries are necessary for any healthy organization. And if you don't have someone as your finance manager, then all of your financial records are a mess and you cannot trust them with your dollars. So you need that financial manager in place, but that financial manager's salary, no one wants to pay it. No donors want their money to go to pay that salary. So I just caution supporters in general, when you're looking at an organization, don't be instantly turned off by that percentage of what goes directly to the program and what might fund others. Because some of the strongest organizations out there are ones that know what to invest in because it's really important for the strength and sustainability of the organization. And they know the balance. They know what that right ratio is for them. And, you know, for us, I don't really worry about it too much because I know what's essential for us and what's not. And that's the line that we draw. Um, So some years that percentage that we spend on programs is 85% and then other years it's 82%, you know, and if our donors are really that worried about that small margin, then I don't think we have their trust anymore, you know? Um, So we really rely on that trust that we do make the right decisions for what needs to be done. And some years we need um, a little bit more investment into certain things that don't look as good on paper, but we're making the impact we promised we'd make. And that's all that should matter at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Um, Well, I think that's always- Yeah, fantastic place to wrap up. Thank you so much for talking to us. This has been- really interesting for me mm-hmm. being able to understand your organization just that little bit more because obviously I was already interested but <laughs> being able to gain this information and also being able to share it on a platform mm-hmm. like nothing major our show is just incredible because I think that yeah everyone needs needs to know a little bit more <laughs> well thank you so much for the invite I'll uh, I'll come back anytime amazing, amazing. thank you so much Alrighty guys, that brings us to the end of the show. We really hope you enjoyed your time with us. And again, thank you, Jesse, so much for helping us get in front yes, of the Yes, that was incredible. Camp. 
what they do and the incredible importance of this issue. Um, we really hope that we learned some new stuff. Well, like maybe we did learn some new stuff. <laughs> we hope that you guys learned some new stuff. Um, yeah, just amazing. Thank yeah. Um, we hope you understand the importance of all these issues and the importance of these being at the forefront of our minds, not just when it popped up on our feed or is a new filter we can mm-hmm. use because your friend doing a campaign at the end of a year to improve their CV is not the only step in the process. Mm-hmm. The, there's an importance in engaging with and understanding these perpetuated inequalities all over the world. Really, the main thing that we want you to take away is that Instagram activism is the first step in issues like this. It is, like, most definitely not the last. Yeah. So a reminder again that any research material for today's show will be uploaded on our Facebook page for your viewing pleasure. So you can do a deeper dive into the content from today's show. And we also have the link to the OSCAM page if you want to find yes. out more about what they do. Yes. And if you want to find more about Nothing Major on Roni, <laughs> follow us at, at Nothing Major Roni on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube or find us on Spotify. Uh, otherwise, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any special comments on this episode, if you want to participate in our show or have any suggestions, please don't be afraid to send us an email at radionothingmajor at gmail.com. No caps and no gaps. Also, always feel free to shoot us a DM on Instagram, interact with our stories, which hopefully allow us to engage more with you guys yeah. and get your opinion on the issues that we discuss and the structure of the show. But for now, that's all we have time for today. I am Kate Armstrong. And I've been Bella Hill Bradley. And as always, we'd like to remind you to stay safe, stay educated, stay sexy, and honestly, if that's the last you wanted to hear from us, it's nothing major. You've been listening to Nothing Major on the Rainy Radio. See you next time.